Well, this week, we continue our journey through our Job series, Hope for the Hurting. Last week, we were looking at the first cycle of speeches between Job and his friends. We saw how Job's friends were of absolutely no comfort to him. Their entire religious system was built off of a theology of glory, a a theology that states that good things happen to good people and, and bad things happen to bad people. So they told Job that he needed to get his heart and his affairs in order so that God would stop destroying him. And in reality, it was these words of Job's friends that destroyed him. He was already wrestling with the big question of why in his life circumstances. Why, why is this happening to me? If, if this is where my life is headed, then why was I even born? These are the questions that we heard Job ask last week. And the words of his friends bring him no closer to an answer. They do not bring him any hope. But we know that Job has hope. For if we have no hope, then there is no point in asking the question, why, is there? In asking that question, you are demonstrating that you recognize that this this isn't the status quo. This this isn't what's supposed to be happening. This isn't right, that, that something is off. And so you know that there's supposed to be something right, something better, something different than what is going on. By asking why, you are expressing hope in an alternative Job has hope. In spite of his horrible circumstances, in spite of the place that he has been left in life, despite losing all of his wealth and his children, despite the betrayal of his wife and his friends, despite the sores and the sickness that is destroying his bodily comfort, Job has hope. And today we see where that hope lies. It comes out in in just a few verses. In the midst of, of Job's struggle, and in the middle of a reply to one of his friends, we, we get the, the briefest glimpse of where Job's hope is found. And though it may seem small and insignificant, because the statement is brief and somewhat hidden in the book, it is anything but small and insignificant. In our verses this morning lies the central truth to which Job is clinging In our passage this morning lies the hope of Job and truly the hope of all believers. Let us read our text together this morning, Job chapter 19, verses 21 through 29. Job 19, 21 through 29. We read the word of the Lord. Have pity on me, my friends, have pity. For the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns. Within me. If you say, How will we hound him since the root of trouble lies in him? You should fear the sword yourselves, for wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Hope. (laughs) What a time to be talking about hope. This week, as news reports rolled in about states going on lockdown, governors ordering people to to stay home, it it all felt a little bit surreal. I mean, California just seemed so, so far away from the Northeast. And then we hear that New York is is shutting down. But even that seemed a little distant as we sit on our couches in suburban New Jersey. Sometimes it feels like the other end of the George Washington Bridge might as well be the other side of the country. And then, at our house, we needed some groceries. And so I went to stop and shop, and there were no carts readily available. I had to go hunting in in the parking lot for one, and then, cart secured, I I walked the aisles of our our local grocery store and saw the the barren shelves. I could only get a quarter of the items on the list that Karen gave me, and, and a few of those items that I did get were the last of what was left on the shelf, and so I left emptiness for the next person to find. I think that's when it really hit me. It wasn't when I saw people fighting over toilet paper on YouTube. It wasn't even when some of the major sports started shutting down. It's when I walked into my local store and saw that I wouldn't be able to get the things that I needed for the coming week. And now yesterday, word came down from our governor that what is happening on the other side of the George Washington Bridge, what is happening on the other coast in California is now happening here in Jersey. We are also shut down. How are you doing with that? How are you feeling in this time of such overwhelming anxiety? This time when so much is unknown and and our lives are affected in in such unheard of ways. As we wrestle with our response to this invasion of our comfort, we sit in our socially distanced self quarantined lives and the most logical thing to do seems to be to like scroll through the feed on our phones and get even more overwhelmed by the reports that are coming in from around the globe but especially from here at home in America. This virus that at one point seemed so far away is invading everything. It's, it's affecting everything. And the word from those who know more than I do and are smarter than I am is that things will be getting worse before they get better. Worse before they get better. What a time to be talking about hope. So where do we put our hope? Where do you put your hope? Do we put it in the government? I'm sure we each have our own thoughts about how our government is handled and is currently handling the fallout of COVID-19, so I'm, I'm not going to talk about how the U.S. has handled it. Instead, let's talk about Taiwan. In Taiwan, they set precedence with, with how they dealt with the virus when reports first started coming out. They were praised the world over for their response. They, they shut everything down for a month. People couldn't go into stores or attend a church without first having their temperatures taken at the door. 
And it seemed like things were going well. It seemed like they had stemmed the tide and they had very few cases until this past week when suddenly more cases were being reported. Taiwan, the country that set the standard for how to resist the spread of the coronavirus, is now bracing for a second wave. For a variety of reasons, all of them logical and none of them nefarious, but the reasons the government was basically powerless to stop, reasons like citizens returning home after visiting other countries. I don't say this to condone the U.S.'s lack of initial response, but simply to point out that even countries that had the best response possible are also dealing with the virus. And though they weathered the first storm, they are bracing for another wave. Our hope cannot be put in our governments. Do we put our hope in our fellow man? When I was on my way to the grocery store that night, I was hit right in the feels, man, overcome with emotion as I saw all the cars and driveways and, and like parked on the, on the side of the streets. People were doing it, right? People were staying home. People were, were taking social distancing seriously. And, and maybe this would all end up being okay in, in the end. We, we'd flatten the curve like we need to. And then we can all get back to our, our regular lives in a couple of weeks. My hope and fellow man restored. And then this past week, I saw all of the people partying for spring break down in Florida. People talking about how they were young, you know, it wasn't going to affect them that badly. So, so they weren't going to waste the prime of their lives sitting on a couch when they could be out living their best life now. Our hope obviously cannot be in our fellow man. And if we try to put our hope in, in living moral lives and in, in obeying the laws and in, in doing what we're supposed to be doing in working hard and, and staying the course and just being the best people that, that we can possibly be, then we are really just hoping that Job's friends were the ones who were right. That our hope is, is really in our actions and what we do and, and what we've earned. But if Job's friends are right, then we are destroyed as Job is destroyed because our hope has failed us. We did what we were supposed to do. We've been living the good moral lives that we're supposed to be living. Sure, you know, I mean, we screwed up here and there, but, but we didn't do something bad enough to bring on this virus. We didn't misbehave enough to be put in, in time out for, for months while we watched the most vulnerable of our society be put to risk and, and be put in extreme risk of, of death. And so if our hope is in our actions, then our hope has already betrayed us. If our hope is in what we can do for ourselves, then, then we have to argue that we are getting what we deserve. And the best that we can hope for is COVID-19. So no, we obviously cannot put our hopes in ourselves. So where do we put our hope? In God? I mean, that's, that's the logical choice, right? I'm a pastor. That's, that's what I'm supposed to say. The, the choice is, I mean, and he's really the only one who's left. He's the one who is supposed to be all loving and, and all caring and gracious and merciful. He's the one with the plan. He's the one with the power. He's the one who made the promises. So we put our hope in him, right? And then, and then we struggle a little bit with that because if he's this 
all-powerful, all-loving, super-gracious, and incredibly merciful God, if he's the man with the plan, then why did all this stuff happen in the first place? Why are we quarantined in our houses? Why can't we meet together as the body in person and, and fellowship like we'd like to? Why can't we finish the school year so that we can feel prepared for, for whatever awaits us next year? Why can't we have the wedding that we wanted to have and when we wanted to have it? Why can't we take the vacation we've been saving up for for two years to take? Why are so many people dying? Why is the virus so effective and devastating? Why are governments unable to stop it? Why can't I trust my fellow man? Why aren't my works good enough to spare me? If God is in control, if he's the one we can put our hope in, then why? And so ultimately, we end up wrestling with the same question that Job is wrestling with in our text this morning as he is struggling to respond to his friend Bildad's speech. And that question is this. Is God for me or against me? In times of crisis, in times of deep loss, in times of anxiety and fear and unrest and uncertainty, we can find ourselves asking the same question. Is God for me or against me? Does he want me to succeed? Does he want what's best for me? Can I put my hope in him? Or have I gone too far? Has he abandoned me and broken the promises that he has made? Is God for me or against me? And that's the deep question, right? That's, that's the ultimate question because really nothing else matters. If God is for me, if he is for us and on our side, then, then there really isn't anything that can do me lasting harm. The rest of these, these whys, they will pass away. They will be gone eventually. The lasting harm won't stay. And, and as we read in Romans 8, not even death can separate us from the love of God, if God is truly for us. And yet if God is against me, then all of my worry, my anxiety, all of my fear and my despair is well-grounded in objective reality. And as we wrestle with the question, this question that Job wrestled with, we can take some solace, we can find comfort in the answer that he lands on. I'm going to read verse 25 through 27 of our, of our text this morning. This is what Job writes. He writes, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. The Redeemer, in the way that Job would have understood it, was someone that was, was tied to you by, by covenant. Typically, this was, was a relative whose, whose calling, whose participation in the covenant was to stand for you when you were wronged. If you were murdered, he saw to it that your murderer was punished. If your share of the promised land was under threat, he's the one that guarded it. This covenant was so important and so personal that it even extended to the possibility that if your widow was childish, uh, childless, <laughs> if your widow was childless, the Redeemer 
would give her a child. In every way, this Redeemer stood for you in the ways that you could not. He is your vindicator. He is your champion. And it is in this Redeemer that Job finds the answer to whether God is for him or against him. It is in this Redeemer that Job puts his hope. For because of this Redeemer, Job is confident that he will stand before God even after his skin is destroyed, even after his life is is gone, even after he has died. Yet, he says, yet in my life, sorry, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. Because of this Redeemer, I will stand before God and I will be made right, says Job. Even though I die, even though I live no more on this earth, still I will stand before God unashamed, knowing that God is pleased with me and that he loves me, that even though my life is currently filled with pain and suffering and hardship, and even though I am filled with anxiety and doubt and fear, and even though I am able to profess my faith and hope in this minute of enlightenment and will sink back into despair in the coming months, days, hours, and and maybe even minutes, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in Him, and because of Him, I am made right before God. And God is for me. He is not against me. He is for me. Job, of course, is, is talking about Jesus. He doesn't know it yet. His, his time was, was way before the time of Christ. And yet, as the faith of Abraham and the other heroes of the faith looked, looked forward to the cross, so did the faith of Job. And in Christ, in Christ is where Job put his faith. In Christ is where Job put his hope. And so can we. And so can we. Though the circumstances of our lives may have us hurting, anxious, fearful, and doubting, or, or wondering if, if God has forgotten us, forgotten his promises, or has decided that he is now against us, let us remember the story of Job. Let us remember the path that he walked, not by choice, but the one that he was thrust upon. And let us turn our eyes to where he turned his. To the Redeemer. to the cross, to Jesus. For Jesus, our Redeemer, fulfilled the covenant that God made with us. Jesus, the Redeemer, stood for us when we could not. The debt of our sin was, was more than, he, or than, we, than we could ever hope to pay. And, and so Jesus stood, or more appropriately, hung on a cross in our place. And paid the price that we could not, so that when we have faith in Him, when we believe He is who He says He is, and that He did what He says He did, and that He will do what He says He will do, that when we have faith in Jesus, we have, we have put on Jesus. We have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and so we, like Job, can stand before the Father justified. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our proof that ultimately God is for us, even though the circumstances of life may cause us to question it. And just because life isn't happening the way that we expect it to happen does not change anything about God, who He is, 
or the promises that He has made us. And as we rest in that truth, as we find shelter in the hope of Christ and the comfort of knowing that God is for us, we still have to deal with the day-to-day life of a world affected by the coronavirus. I'm reminded of a, of a scene from The Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite scenes in the whole story. Frodo, the, the little hobbit, who's been given the massive responsibility of, of taking the ring of power to be destroyed in the dark land of Mordor, is, is having a conversation with his dear friend and trusted advisor, Gandalf. They're talking about how the world is, is coming apart at the seams. And in a quiet moment, as the, the realization of their circumstances sinks in, they have this quiet, honest conversation. Frodo, sitting on a rock, looks up at Gandalf and says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. I wish these circumstances, this, this dark force rising to power, the need for this ring to be destroyed, I wish all of this craziness had not happened in my time. And so do I, responds Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Church, friends, I I know that we wish that life did not look the way that it does right now. I know that we wish that we could go about our business as usual, but this is what life looks like right now. And we cannot go about our business as usual. This, this is the time that is given us. So what will we do with it? Let us use this time to share the hope that we have with a world that is desperate for hope. Let us share Jesus. Amen.